welcome to Conversion Stories, where I share my conversations with members of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I am your host, Joey Erickson. In today's episode, you will hear from Sean, who is my first guest that I don't know personally, so that was fun. Sean shares about his family struggles and depression as a teenager, how he came to know about a loving Heavenly Father, and how he decided to serve a mission. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Sean. Well, let's jump right in. Um, Why don't you start us off by telling us about yourself? Yeah, so my name is Sean. Um, I grew up in Washington State. Uh, I grew up in a small town ish town about an hour and a half outside of Seattle on what's called the Puget Sound. So it's uh, it's basically a peninsula surrounded by the ocean, surrounded mm-hmm. by ocean water. Um, lots of trees, lots of friendly people, lots of rain. Um, just a, a really nice place. Um, currently, I am living in Colorado. Um, I am a medical student, so I'm a fourth-year medical student out of West Virginia School of Osteopathic Medicine. So, you know, from Washington at school in West Virginia, but I'm living in Colorado, a lot of moving around. Um, I'm married. Uh, I have a beautiful wife. Her name is Shari. And I've got two amazing kids named Russell and Alden. Uh, Their ages are four and two. Mm, Fun. So... That's kind of a, a little bit about me. <laughs> awesome. So at what age did you join the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints? And what did your spiritual and religious life look like up to that point? So I was 17 years old. Um, up until that point, I don't know. So when I grew up, I my, both my parents, uh, they, they wanted us growing up. So I'm, I'm one of three boys. I have an older brother and a younger brother. So I'm the middle child. Um, they wanted us to have some knowledge of Jesus Christ. And so I remember when we were younger, we would always go to all these different non-denominational Christian churches. My, my older brother, or sorry, what am I saying? My dad, my dad grew up Baptist and my mom grew up born again. Mm-hmm. Um, but when it came to raising my older brother, my younger brother and myself, uh, they didn't really have one specific direction they wanted to take us in. They just wanted us to have a knowledge of Christ. So I remember going to all these different non-denominational churches, uh, just kind of learning a little bit here and there. Like I remember specific songs, um, like, like who built the ark? Noah, Noah, you know, like stuff like that. But up until that point in my life, um, I'd say probably around the age of 14 or 15. Um, none of that really mattered to me. It wasn't important to me. Um, we stopped going to church probably when I was about nine or 10. And so uh, when I joined the church at 17, it was, it was like opening up a whole new door. It was like lighting a candle that hadn't been lit in a long, long time. Mm. So, how did you get introduced to the church? Good question. So um, I was kind of going through a depressed time in my life. Um, I 
my home life wasn't the greatest. There was a lot going on. Um, my school life wasn't the greatest. Uh, honestly, I was, I was just in a really, really bad place. And um, by some miracle, uh, a friend, friend ended up realizing this. Uh, it was kind of a, a funny event. Um, it, it was a, a strange scenario where I was giving a bunch of friends a carpool ride to a event for a school project and uh what it happened to be was it was my best friend in high school he he had a school assignment to witness a government ran event and it was for one of his classes my class it was one of his classes um but i i offered to him hey i'll, I'll give you a ride because I, I drove a minivan at the time <laughs> And I told him, hey, if you want to invite anybody, you know, you can, and I've got room in my car for them. And so he invited just a bunch of, I guess, mutual friends of ours. And we ended up going to this government event, which happened to be the courthouses, the local courthouses. And I remember it was on a Thursday um, because Thursday was our early release day. We got out of school an hour early. And so we kind of took the opportunity, took advantage of it. Um, and we went to the courthouses and we asked for their permission to witness one of their hearings. And it just so happened to be that it was a, because it was Thursday, all they had that day were divorce cases. Mm. And at this time, um, when I was about 16, when 16, 17, when all of this was happening, it was, it was pretty much at the height of my parents' divorce. And so we watched these and I, I remember the feeling that I had observing these families being broken apart and it just didn't sit well with me. It, I, I, I literally could look at these two, two couples and, and think you guys at one point loved each other so much. And now that love is gone. And in my situation, I kept asking, I wonder if they have kids. Cause the entire time during this hearing, they didn't bring up kids at all. So I just mm -hmm. kept thinking, does that mean they don't have kids or do they have kids? And if they did have kids, are those kids being abandoned, forgotten? Are they going to have to struggle through life? Very similar to how I'm about to start struggling with my life. And so I took that experience very personally um, to the point where when I drove everyone back to their cars after this, um, I didn't say a word. I was destroyed. I was honestly, I was very depressed. And so when I got, got back to everyone's car, I basically just kicked everyone out of my and drove off. And where I ended up going was this, this lookout spot where I could be all to myself, completely alone. And I got a text message while I was sitting up there. Um, it was existential crisis moments where I'm just trying to figure out my life. And the text message that I got was a very simple message from one of the friends that one of the mutual friends that came with, uh, it was, is everything okay? Mm. And at this point in my life, I was a very, very closed off person. I, I didn't talk with a lot of people. Um, I was very selective on who I led into my personal life. Um, uh, like my best friends, they, they knew a lot of what was going on, but they didn't even know everything, you know? And so for me to get this stranger, she wasn't a stranger, but she was 
the mutual friend for me to get this invitation to open up my life to somebody was very scary. Um, but I ended up saying, no, everything is not okay. And so that led to obviously somebody wanting to inquire more what's going on, what's happening. Mm -hmm. Um, and so little by little, I started texting and sharing and it was interesting because at this point, you know, because, because I was so closed off as soon as I opened up, I would immediately withdraw myself back and, you know, I'd, I'd give a little and then retreat. And so it'd be like, yeah, you know, everything, everything isn't okay, but I'm not going to tell you why, because I, it's too much. I don't, I don't want to, I, you'll, you won't understand. Nobody will understand, but this is going on, but nobody, you know? And so it was, it was constantly like this, this, uh, almost a game with text that lasted for about 20 or so minutes until finally she said, all right, let's meet up in person. And so we met up at a local Starbucks. Um, it was uh, it was in a Safeway, which is kind of like an Albertsons or um, uh, a market basket with a Safeway inside of it. And I remember we we got hot chocolates. And whenever I tell people that part of my story, they kind of laugh because it's like we didn't have coffee. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, but we had hot chocolates and we talked. And the conversation that we had was very similar to the text message that we had where I would give a little bit and then I'd retreat. And that went on for probably two and a half hours or so um, until at the end of that conversation, my friend basically said, I'm going to give you a couple of goals, a couple of invitations of things that you need to do. Um, Number one is you need to make it to tomorrow you know, life is difficult, but she, she gave me a quote. It's, it's from, you know, retrospectively, it's from Batman where it's the night is darkest before the dawn. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she essentially said, make it to tomorrow because right now you're going through something really difficult, but tomorrow it's going to be better. Mm-hmm. She also said to write everything that I'm feeling in a journal. And I think those were the only two invitations that she gave. Um, but she said, yeah, th- those two things. And then lastly, if there's anything that I needed, I could always reach out to her. So uh, I went home that day. Um, I-, I bought a journal. Uh, by this point, it's nighttime. You know, so I get home. It's night. I go into my room. I just start writing everything in this journal. Um, turned out to be a lot of very negative things. And that next day, I woke up just thinking nothing's really changed. And mm-hmm. so... Uh, I went to school. I remember seeing her at school and it was almost as if that entire conversation hadn't happened. Um, like whenever, whenever you have like an inside joke with somebody, you know how you could always look at that person and kind of relay the inside joke if it's fresh without them, without saying anything. And usually they'll give you some nod back or some, some sign saying, Oh yeah, I know what you're talking about. Well, she didn't even give me that. You know, it was, it was like, I went to school the next day and it was like the conversation literally didn't happen. And so after school, uh, I remember texting her and saying, Hey, is it okay if we met again? And we decided to meet again after she got off off of work at the same Starbucks, same hot chocolate. Mm -hmm. And when we talked, it was, 
pretty much the same exact conversation. Although this time I was like, I, I don't know if I trust you. Like, you know, we went to school and nothing changed, nothing happened. And uh, this conversation, it was, it was a good opportunity for her to follow up with me, see if I had uh, done the homework, you know, I was able to report that I had and that it hadn't really helped. So that conversation, that's kind of all I remember about it, but I do remember it lasting another two and a half, three hours long. So when I, when I think back to this middle conversation, all I can think is, I, I think it was good <laughs> just because, you know, it was so long ago and um, we filled a lot of time. So that was on Friday, um, which then pushes us into Saturday. Saturday, uh, I remember uh, basically having the same exact feelings of I need to meet. Um, I think on this day also within my family, I ended up getting into a fight with my older brother or something that didn't end up too well uh, on my part. And so I reached out to her again and very similar to the second day we met up after her work and we met up yet again as safe or at the Starbucks in Safeway and ordered ourselves more hot. <laughs> and for this conversation, this was the last of the three big conversations that she and I had. I was asking a lot of very spiritual questions because at this point, nothing was working in my life that brought me joy. I was asking questions such as, why am I here? What is the purpose of life? Mm -hmm. And I was using the recent divorce experience as kind of a, a platform to stand on where I was asking, what is the purpose of life? If, for example, we are here to find somebody, to meet them, to create a relationship with them, only to see it crumble. Where's the joy in that? Um, why are we here in this life if uh, families are to be broken? And within that system, we have people who are supposed to love you, mm -hmm. who become your absolute enemy. Uh, because that's kind of what it was like within my family. I, I, I struggled with my relationship with my parents and with my brothers. Um, it was just a really difficult, difficult growing up situation. And so this is the part of our meeting where she brought religion into it. Um, she basically, at that point, started talking <clears throat> about how God is a loving Heavenly Father. And how he has placed all of us on this earth with a purpose. Most of the time, we don't know what the purpose, what the small purposes are. But the grand purpose is to experience life here so that one day we can have, we can essentially return to him and have the most glorious existence for eternity. Now, she was telling me all this stuff. And honestly, it was going in one ear, out the other, um, just because I was so resentful at this point. I, I remember telling her, if God exists, you know, I, I, I told you about my upbringing a little bit, having some knowledge of Christ and everything, mm -hmm. but it, it was so diminished that I basically said, if God exists, he hates me because of how much I am going through. And that's when she testified saying, I know God exists and that he loves me. 
and therefore he loves everybody. And it hit me so strong. It was one of those spiritual moments in my life that I remember, I, I don't remember exactly what was said, but I remember what I felt. And it was a little tiny light. It was a little tiny spark. And I remember she actually never did invite me to church. Mm. Um, she just invited me to think about God. And for me, because I had gone so many years without any church, I was the one who was interested. She she got me thinking, oh, maybe to this. And so I was the one who asked her, would it be okay with you if I went with you to church? Hmm. And she said, of course, you know, she's not going to be like, no, you can't come with me, you know? Um, and so that's, that's kind of how it all started. Did she ever talk about, was that a prompting that she received to text you right at the start? You know, I've never, I've never asked her. I've never mm -hmm. blatantly just said, Hey, was this, was this a spiritual prompting? Mm -hmm. I, am a strong believer that it was, yeah. um, you know, looking back on this time, you know, even today, even today I have spiritual promptings that I don't know if they're truly spiritual or not. Um, I don't know if they're, they're true whisperings of the Holy ghost or if they're things of the light of Christ going through me. I don't, I honestly don't know. Like just the other day I was going through the store and I was pushing my, and I was going around a corner and I saw a dad and a daughter standing there and I was kind of in a hurry and I was walking fast. And then I just had this strong feeling, oh, there's a dad and a daughter there. I should slow down. And so I slowed down just before their son, the son came bolting around the corner. And after that, I had the thought, man, I would have ran that kid over. Just it would have been horrible had I not slowed down. Was it a was it a spiritual prompting? Was it was it just a thought? I mean, what was it? I, I think that feeling is the feeling that was going on constantly during this time. You know, she had to reach out to me. That's prompting number one. I had to be receptive to that. That's prompting number two. The fact that we had to meet up in person, that's probably number three. And everything in between. I mean, there's so many different things that went into this. Um, on top of that, the courthouse. I mean, I had to drive my friend there. Was that a prompting? Did God know? And I'm a strong believer that the answer is yes. I'm a strong believer that God knew that I needed to be at that courthouse that day, mm -hmm. that I needed to see that horrible gut-wrenching experience for me to be broken down and humbled to that point. Because I don't think any other way I would have been exposed to the church. Mm -hmm. So to answer your question, I don't know on her end. I'm I'm sure she she has some thoughts that yes, she was she was prompted. Um, but I I'm a strong believer that it was very much a spiritually guided event. Yeah, me too. Um, do you still keep in touch with this friend? You know, it's been off and on. Um, I kept a lot more in touch with her. Uh, kind of towards the beginning of my church membership uh, we at one point were both serving missions together at the same time oh, um, cool. and then when we got home from our missions she lived in Utah while I lived in Washington um, and, and then Idaho that's where I went to school for my undergrad 
And so we, we went to each other's weddings um, and we chit chatted here and there, but we haven't talked too much recently. Um, the last I saw her was uh, I went home to Washington for uh, something. Can't remember what, but uh, she was at the local church building um, and I ran into her at church and it was, it was kind of cool. She just recently moved back to where we grew up. And uh, I'm actually planning on moving back there somewhat soon as well. So hopefully we'll be seeing each other a lot more and just, you know, kind of hanging out. She's got kids now. So I've got kids. She's got kids. So maybe yeah. our kids will, you know, hang out and we'll find common ground there and everything. Oh, uh, I hope so. All right. Yeah. So go back and, and continue the story. You're starting to go to church. I'm sure you're meeting with the missionaries. Sort of. Yeah. So I, I ended up going to church. So last of the three conversations was on a Saturday. So I asked her about church and she said, yeah, we meet every Sunday. It's three hours long, but you don't have to go all three hours if you don't want to. Um, for those who are listening to this saying three hours long, you must be young. Uh, church used to be three hours long. <laughs> um, and so I did not go that next Sunday, that next day. I went the Sunday after. So it was about eight days or so until I went to church. Um, and you know, what's funny is as I'm sharing this, all of this, all of this meant something so important to me to the point where I've remembered all of these dates. So we're talking about October 11th, 2011 was the first day that I met with her. October 23rd, 2011 was the first day I went to church. And I remember, <laughs> I remember going kind of secrecy kind of against my family just because I didn't know what their thoughts were going to be. Mm-hmm. I knew at this point, okay, this, this is honestly all I knew about the church. All I knew is it was the Mormon church. And what that meant is there are missionaries. There's some dude named Joseph Smith. And that's pretty much all I know. I, I didn't know anything else. And so I was very, very curious. I was very curious as to what, what a church event was like, what a church service was like. So I snuck in, um, or sorry, snuck out of my house so that my family wouldn't know that I was going to church because in my mind that would give them fuel to make fun of me for something. Mm. And um, I, I remember hiding my church clothes in my car and I snuck out the window and I drove and then I got dressed in the church parking lot. Mm she failed to do was tell me how people dressed at church. Cause I, I did not want to stand out like a sore, a sore thumb or anything like that. I, I wanted to just kind of blend in. I didn't want to be the center of attention. I just wanted to be a full. So growing up, I remember people dressed nicely. They had button up shirts and slacks. So I didn't really have that. I, I had uh, kind of black slacks, I guess. Uh, but my nicest button-up shirt was a uh, it was a short-sleeved Hawaiian T-shirt, and it was blue with a bunch of red flowers on it. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm a bigger guy, um, you know. I'm I'm six two. I weigh about two hundred and seventy pounds or so. And at this point in my life, I also had really long curly hair, mm. and so. When I walked into this building, my goal to not stand out like a sore thumb was instantly failed. I I was like, you are new. We can tell. 
everyone yeah. else is wearing a suit or a white shirt and tie and it was awkward and intimidating and I, I I also remember my friend she ended up arriving like at the last second like like you know when you walk into the church building and you can hear the the first uh the first hymn already being sang yep <laughs> It was that type of situation. And I don't like to be late to things. So it was just more, it was anxiety provoking. You know, it was like, I, I don't know what's going on. All I know is I'm late and I am not, I don't look like the normal person. So obviously I'm the new guy and I didn't want that. But when we walked in, this was one of those church buildings that had a greeter. Mm-hmm. And I remember to this day exactly who the greeter is. And just an absolutely amazing man. Well, I didn't know about this at the time. He was just some random person. But he's an amazing, well-accomplished person. Just highly dignified. Thousands of people respect him. He, as I walked into the chapel, looked me in the eyes, shook my hand, and said, Hello, I'm Brother So-and-so. It's very nice to meet you. And we are so happy to have you. Mm. And when he said that, he said it with the most sincerity that I just felt loved. And it terrified me. <laughs> if I'm telling, if, if I'm being honest, because I had not felt that much love from a stranger in my life. Like it was, it was the most sincere and genuine moment. It was, it was small. But it was one that I'll, I, I won't forget it. It was so special. Yeah. Um, and so anyways, we walked in, we sat down, of course, they're singing the hymn. Um, and we're sitting next to this, this family who, uh, they have a daughter who's also in my class, uh, in my grade and everything. I, I didn't really know her that well. We didn't share any classes together up until, um, at this point it's my senior year in high school, by the way. So, um, 12 grades, never had a single class with her, but she was at my school and she was in my grade. And I realized my friend, the one who brought me, was sitting right next to her. And um, fun fact, something that I haven't shared yet, is the one who reached out to me, who met up with me in Starbucks, was actually a convert of the church herself. She had joined the church three months before all of this happened. Oh, wow. And so when we were at the Starbucks and she was testifying, it was a brand new testimony that she was sharing. (laughs) Um, Well, when we were at church this first time, she was sitting next to the family that helped her join the church. And so I remember sitting there, uh, they handed me a hymn book and I, I was in band in high school, so I knew how to read music. But there was no way in the world that I was going to sing. Um, I was very closed off, very shy. Um, and so I just sat there. And I knew when prayers were happening that for a prayer, you close your eyes and you bow your head. Um, so I did that every single prayer that happened. And for the church talks, I remember they brought up a lot of names that I didn't know, such as Thomas S. Monson or Henry B. Iring, just things like that. I, I don't know if I, I know Monson's name was shared, but there were other names that I just I, I don't know who they were. Um, and finally, at the end of that hour of church, 
I just felt good. You know, it was a good feeling. It was, it was like, wow. Like I feel, I feel happy. I feel content with life. I feel, I don't know. I feel just fresh. And so after, um, you know, my, we stepped out and my friend said, you know, are you going to stay the next two hours? And I was like, nope, <laughs> I'm the new guy. I'm the sore thumb. I don't want to do that. But I told her, I really appreciate you inviting me, even though she didn't. Um, <laughs> I appreciate you bringing me along, uh, being here with me while I'm, I'm here at church. And I hope to come back again. And that's pretty much what I said. So um, that was my first church experience. It was, it was wonderful. I felt great. Um, you know, in the scriptures, we learn about the analogy of seeds yeah. and how, you know, you plant your faith like a seed and if you water it, it'll grow. And I feel like this, this whole experience was the first seed of my faith. And so I went home that day. Um, Nobody asked me questions or anything in my family. That's that's kind of how we were. Everyone just kind of did their own thing. Mm. Um, you know, a week goes by. Uh, th- at this point, though, uh, at school, when I when I saw her, um, you know, we would talk a little bit more and, you know, share our experiences about, you know, share my experience about going to church and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, so that next week, I remember I went back to church. Um, I only stayed for another hour. Um, but this time I got to know the family a little bit better that helped, uh, the girl go to church, like the, the girl to become a member of the church and everything. I got to know that family a little bit better and I don't mind sharing their names. I've, I've tried, if you haven't noticed, I've tried to keep everyone's names a little on the hush hush just because I I haven't told anybody about this podcast. They don't know that I'm making it. So (laughs) I haven't asked for permissions. Sure. I'm pretty sure, though, that this family wouldn't mind me using their last name. And it's its the Olsen family. Mm. Um, so the Olsons, they're the family that helped my friend join the church. I got to know them a little bit better at the second week of church. Now, in between the second week and third week, by the way, the second experience at church, very similar to the first. I loved it, felt great, um, was greeted at the door by the same individual. Uh, I felt the spirit. I didn't sing. <laughs> Um, I, I I do remember asking a few more questions at this time, but I didn't, I I can't remember what the questions were. It's probably not important anyways. It was just, you know, what's that person? Oh, the Bishop. Oh, who are those people? Oh, they're the Bishopric counselors. Who's Rick? You know, like I I thought the Bishop's name was Rick for the longest time. Um, so anyways, between the second and third week of church, that's when things got intense. Um, my older brother and I got into a really, really big fight. Um, it was a, a fist fight. Um, I remember essentially getting kicked out of the house wrongfully. Mm. Um, I'm not going to go into the details of what exactly happened. Um, but it was, it was, it was a pretty bad fight. And I remember after this fight, I got in my van, I drove up to the same exact lookout where it all started and I texted my buddy and said, Hey, thank you so much for meeting up with me, but this isn't working. Um, and I basically went back into that dark, depressed mode. Mm. Well, instead of 
the the same person who I met with at Starbucks reaching out to me and um, you know saying come meet up with me. I got a phone call, and the phone call was from the Olsen's daughter, the oldest one who was in my class, the one that's never been in any of my classes, but you know same year as me. Yeah. From her, it was a phone call. And I had the same exact battle with myself. Do I respond? Do I answer? What do I do? Because very closed off. And I decided I'm going to go ahead and answer. And she said, hey, it's so-and-so Olson. Each other at church the other day. Is everything okay? Oh, wow. So I don't know if these are promptings. You tell me. At this point, I'm I'm like positive, but anyways. Well, no, I'm feeling the spirit. So <laughs> now at this point, I'm in tears, and my my growing up, my dad, um, you know, he he grew up in an army household. He was the last of six boys, and he was taught crying is a sign of weakness. And so, you know, obviously, I was taught crying is a sign of weakness. Well, at this point, I'm like in tears and she says, is everything okay? And all I could think was I have to like brush off these tears and say, no, everything's fine. Mm -hmm. But I ended up very similar to the first experience, just saying, no, everything is not okay. And so she said, okay, well, come on over. And I was like, I don't even know what you're talking about. Like, what do you mean? Come on over. And she said, come on over to my house. She gave me her address and she said, you need to come over now. And I was like, what if I don't want to come over? And she said, you're coming over now. Come to my house. Mm. And I was like, okay, sounds good. Whatever. So we hung up. I drove to their house. And I remember the fight, the fight that broke out. Again, I'm not going to go into the detail of what happened, like what caused the fight. Mm -hmm. But what resulted was I was punched a lot um mainly on the shoulders and arms and then i was also punched once in the head fight we had a, a big dog um who was a very protective dog who also ended up getting into the fight because he didn't know what was happening he just saw you know a fight was happening he's a protective dog well he ended up biting me um on my back and it actually tore holes in my shirt and I was bleeding on my back. And so when I knocked on the door to this house, um, this Olson daughter, she well actually, so there's the Olsons, there's a mom and dad and three daughters. Um, the oldest was my age. The middle was at this time, 11 or 12. And the youngest was like eight or nine years old. So a younger girl. Well, this younger girl, the eight or nine year old comes, opens the door and says, hello, come on in. Oh. And I was like, what the heck? Like, this is not my norm. I've never had this happen in my entire life. Never been in this, in this experience. Um, and of course, there's me, a hole in my shirt, battered and bruised. You know, the, the pains of everything starts kicking in. And I just thought this, this is not where I belong, but whatever. And I walked in and I sat down. Well, actually, so I walked in and they have a nice house. They have a big house. Um, but there was a lot of commotion going on. 
And so when I walked in, she ran towards the commotion. So I didn't know where to go. So I just followed her and they, she led me into this, this big room with, uh, there's two couches that are sitting at a right angle from each other. Um, it's a TV room. So there's a TV and then, uh, on the opposite corner from where those couches meet is another tiny couch where I sat and on the other two couches directly across from me there was there there were all three daughters so the one who's my age who called me as well as the middle and the youngest who had found her way back there's the boyfriend of the oldest daughter who is a guy who was also in my grade um, never had a class with him but I'd seen him around mm -hmm. and then there were two missionaries sitting on the ground uh. and I didn't know what was going on at the time. All I knew is I had just wiped tears from my face. And now I'm sitting down with all of these people who were having their, their all the fun in the world. I mean, you've had missionaries over at your house. You know how fun it can be. You know, right. the, the conversing that can happen, the stories that are told. Well, at this time, they were teaching the boyfriend um, about the church. He was their investigator, or I guess nowadays they call them friends. Mm -hmm. um, he was their friend. So he, he was the one being taught by the missionaries. So in a weird way, I had stumbled into this, this lesson that was being had. And I remember just sitting there and I contributed nothing. Um, and in the back of my mind, during, during everything that was going on, all, one thing that I kept thinking was, where are the parents? Um, cause if there was anybody I wanted to really talk with, it was the parents. I always had respect for adults, people my age, I didn't really care about, but people who were older, I just kind of figured, Hey, you have more life experience. You have more understanding of things and you have some, some hierarchical, uh, responsibility over everybody, <laughs> um, strangers and everybody like, you know how to solve problems. So help me solve mine type of deal. Mm -hmm. So what happened though was eventually the mom came in. She, she came home, she walked into the house and I, I didn't know the parents like at all, other than from at church, you know, the, the week before. Right. But at that point it was just a simple, hi, I'm, I'm Sean. Nice to meet you type deal. Well, so the mom walks in, um, everyone's still conversing and having a good time. She walks in, she sees me on the couch. She pretty much does the same exact thing that we did at church, which is, Oh, Hey, good to see you again. Uh, I'm Sean. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, welcome to our house. And she says to all of the people in the house, hey, we're not going to be able to do dinner tonight. I've got to get running back to the office. She, she, was a, uh, she was and is a real estate agent. And so she was always coming and going in her house and everything. Um, and so she said, hey, I have to go back to the office. When dad gets home, tell him to order pizza because we're not going to be able to do dinner. So order pizza. And then just as quickly as she came, she left. It was like, boom, boom. She came in, said, order pizza, and then left. So the dad, the dad comes in, like, probably 15, 20 minutes later. You know, same exact encounter with me. Hi, I'm Sean. Oh, nice to have you ever at our house. And that was pretty much it. Um, and he says to everyone, what's for dinner? You know, he just got off of work. It's been a long day for him. He uh, he was a commuter to Seattle. So, you know, we're talking an hour and a half there and an hour and a half back every single day. 
so he was like what's for dinner and the the little girl the youngest goes mom said we could order pizza and he goes really i thought we had leftovers in the fridge and she's like no 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 basically like a pleading (laughs) mom said we could get pizza and he's like i don't believe you and so the other two daughters then kick in and say yeah yeah no mom said we could order pizza and the dad goes huh okay well if you want pizza i guess you're gonna have to beg me and the dad mr olson brother olson a very very witty sarcastic fun guy very very witty fun and sarcastic just loves to joke loves to have fun I didn't know that at the time, but basically, yeah, he, he said, beg me. And so immediately the youngest one gets down on her knees, fingers crossed, basically in the prayer formation and says, please, dad, you know, and puts on the biggest sad face you've ever seen. Um, he says, that's not enough. More of you need to beg. And so the other two daughters kick in. Then the boyfriend kicks in and then the missionaries kick in. <laughs> So everyone is begging, basically groveling for pizza. Uh And I remember he looks at me and he looked at me with the eyes of your turn. Mm -hmm. And I just wanted to burst out crying. I I just felt so out of place. But uh, growing up, I, you know, I, I love helping people. I love people smiling and you know being happy i love i love that part of people um and so for the greater good i begged you know i caved and i begged and he said all right let's get pizza and the only reason why i'm sharing you know five minutes worth of this pizza story (laughs) is because this was the first example of the common traditional household family that I had seen in a couple years. Mm-hmm. It was the mom. It was the dad. It was the kids. It, just the love that they had for each other and the fun and the comfort. And it, it stood out to me so much. Um, and, you know, I look back on these moments and just, I, I grow in gratitude for everything that happened, including this family. So anyways, we got pizza. We got pizza. You know, it was delicious. I think I had one slice because I hated taking things from people at the time. I was very, I didn't want to be a burden. That's, that's the phrase I used. Um, so eventually the missionaries, they finished their lesson. They said a prayer at the end. Um, they bore their testimonies and then they left. And then eventually as the night grew Later and later, the parents said, all right, boyfriend, your turn to leave. So they kicked him out. And then uh, that obviously left me and the three girls. And they said, all right, girls, time for bed. Go upstairs. And then it was just me. Hmm. And the parents said, all right, let's hear it. We want to sit you down and figure out why you're here and what's going on. And so because they're adults and I trusted them, without even knowing them, I shared everything. I shared everything that was going on in my household, the relationship I had with my family, uh, my academic performance. I shared 
everything. The fight just broken out. And they said, um, it, t- it took about two and a half hours. And at this point, it's like midnight um, on a school night and a work night. And they said, all right, we're getting tired. <laughs> um, so here's, here's what we have to offer. You can stay in our home as long as you need to huh. on three conditions. Number one, um, and they could sense that I was depressed. So number one, I think this had to re- relate to that. You have to let us know where you are after school if you're not here. I think they wanted to keep track of me. You know, they wanted to always make sure that I was okay. Right. Rule number two, as long as you're in this household, you have to do all of your schoolwork. No exceptions. And that was new for me. I, you know, I was barely passing my classes mainly because I wasn't doing any schoolwork. I was really good at, you know, getting to the test and figuring out the answers. And I was really good at listening to what the teacher said and being able to replicate it um, and, and remember it and retain it. I just didn't do homework. And so all of my grades were C's and D's at best. Hmm. Rule number three was no going upstairs. Upstairs is where all three of the girls slept. Um, it's where the parents slept. So just no, no, no going upstairs. Mm-hmm. And all three of those rules, I, I respected them and said, easy, easy peasy, can do, will do. What I didn't know is I was then going to live at their place for the next month. Mm. Um, I, every single day I'd wake up, I'd grab a bite and then I'd go to school. And then after school, I would come straight back to their place um, nobody in my family questioned it or anything. It was, it was kind of weird. Uh, yeah. time though, uh, additionally, my best friends, you know, I, I played a lot of video games as my escape at that time. They, they saw me less and less on the games. And so I questioned where, where's Sean? Mm-hmm. And what was happening is I was going back to their house. The first thing I would do is I would take care of my schoolwork because that was the rule. Um, I would, you know, I didn't have to text them or anything because I was at their place and I didn't have anywhere else to go really like hanging out with people because nobody wanted to really hang out. Um, and I just never went upstairs. And during that month, the missionaries also started coming over to the house a lot more frequently, um, every other day, at least. And that is where I had my lessons taught to me. Um, That's where we would sit down and have the formal missionary discussions. And that's where I would ask all of my questions. Mm. So during that month, I'd say that month was the transformation month. That's the month where I gained the, the foundation of my testimony. Um, I would go to church every week. Um, I also had a job. I think, I think I had it at this time. I was a, a grocery cart bagger. <laughs> mm-hmm. or, or I was, yeah, I was a grocery bagger and a cart retriever. And it, it provided me with enough money to where I could pay for my own food, which the family insisted, obviously, that I didn't need to do that. But I hated being a burden. Um, on top of that, I was able to buy church clothes. And so... I stopped being the Hawaiian shirt dude and became the blended in dude, you know? Um, and finally, <clears throat> after about a month or so, 
my mom texted me and said, Hey, we need the car back. You can't, you can't have the car to yourself. Like it's not your car. And so, um, I had to bring the car back home, which obviously meant I had to go home because that was my way of getting to and from school. It was my way of getting to and from my work. And then it was how I got to the Olson's house. So I went back home and I remember even when I was at home, staying at home, I would still, I, I created a habit during that month. I would wake up, go to school. After school, I would go to the old. And then after the Olson's, I would go back to my house. And my house became a place where I slept, not really anything else. I remember when I got home that my family continued to be my family. They continued to fight and argue. Um, and it just wasn't the place where I liked to be. But I realized that I had changed. I had grown. And... I had a lot more patience and respect and love towards them, even though they weren't necessarily making me happy, you know? Mm -hmm. And so that's when I went to the missionaries and basically said, Hey, um, you guys taught me about this thing called baptism a while ago. Is that, is that still a thing that's possible? And, mm -hmm. you know, as a missionary, you can imagine <laughs> right. somebody comes up to you <laughs> and says that they're like, what <laughs> you made their day when you said that <laughs> oh yeah yeah for sure i mean they were like we didn't teach you about this you know <laughs> um but essentially what had happened is i realized i had changed and i was growing in the testimony of jesus christ and the joy that living his gospel brings i didn't know much at that time about the church. I, I hadn't read the Book of Mormon. Um, I, I had read through uh, First Nephi chapter 19. So the first 19 chapters. And I was a very logical person. I still am. Um, and in my mind, it was like, how, how does somebody so young make this up? Like, it just didn't make sense that Joseph Smith would just make this stuff up. I, I don't even think it's possible. Mm. It had to be real. You know, it wasn't like a spiritual prompting saying the Book of Mormon is true. It was like, it, it has to be real because like, it, I'm holding it. It makes sense. It's in my hand. Um, so that's kind of how I got past that part of my testimony. So, so if I had to like say any big part of my testimony at the time, it was the gospel, living the gospel brings joy. That's what brought me into the church. And so I ended up making the decision to get baptized. Um, and uh, I know that you have follow-up questions for that, but I'll just, I'll throw the date. Uh, it was um, December 18th, 2011. Uh, it was a Sunday baptism. And then I was confirmed December 25th on Christmas. Uh -huh. um, so yeah, that's kind of, that's kind of the, the big story. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, so I'm assuming that none of your family went to your baptism. So good assumption. Um, <laughs> I, I'll say yes, but no, actually, because I was under the age of 18, I was still 17 at the time. I actually needed parent permission, a sign off that it was okay for me to get baptized. So it was about November ish, late November. Um, the missionaries had given me the packet that I needed to get signed. And 
I went to my mom and I asked her, Hey, I need to get her. <laughs> I, I don't need to. I, I basically said, Hey mom, I've been going to this church. And she was like, Oh, you've been going to church. Like she didn't even know I was going to church. Mm. And I said, yeah. And I actually want to get baptized. And she was like, what? Like she was very taken back. Like you've already been baptized, you know, mm. which I didn't even know. Um, and I remember having like, it was a very scary conversation to have. Um, but she was very receptive to it. And she basically, she, she's a mom, you know, she, she was the stereotypical mom in the sense that she was very supportive of us if we were doing something that made us happy. And if it wasn't harmful, obviously. Um, and so she signed it. And I remember asking if she wanted to go. And she said yes. So she and my younger brother ended up going to my baptism, which was pretty scary and intimidating, but at the same time, pretty cool. Um, just because my younger brother, very similar situation to me, you know, he, he grew up with me. So mm -hmm. his experience with religion was the same as mine. And I'm sure everything at that baptism for him was what is going on? Um, I mean, that's how it was even for me. I was like, what is going on? You know, so... <laughs> Uh, it, it, it was what it was, but uh, they both were supportive of me in that sense. And then you are right. So no, no, none of them are members of the church. Um, after joining the church, my mom had missionaries coming over for actually like a year and a half or so. She loves the missionaries, absolutely loves them. And then my younger brother, he also had missionary discussions for uh, probably like four or five months. And he started going to church with me um, after I had graduated, but before I left on my mission. And uh, in the end, it, he decided that it wasn't for him and, you know, that he, he didn't want to pursue it any further or anything, which I love and respect my family. You know, at this point, like my, my relationship with them is absolutely amazing. Um, it's, it's everything that I want it to be. Oh, I love that. Um... So how did you decide to serve a mission? After graduation, um, I had to make decisions for myself. Because um, at this point, my schooling, because my schooling was so bad, um, like my GPA, oh man, I'm honest, my GPA was like a 2.3 or something like that. It was, it was bad. Mm -hmm. um, fortunate to pass high school. So... My options when I graduated were very slim. <laughs> I didn't apply to any colleges. Um, I should have, and I didn't. Um, instead, what I was planning on doing was, oh, after I joined the church, I also lost a bunch of weight and I was getting in shape. I uh, started taking care of my body a little bit more. Um, I, I guess a lot more for my life. I started to find a lot of self well. Mm -hmm. And so between needing something to do having lost all of that weight as well as the fact that where i grew up uh washington state um, i grew up in a town called silverdale and it's located in between the puget sound naval shipyard and the bangor naval submarine base not bangor for all of you main listeners but bangor spelled the same messed me up on my mission but anyways oh. Uh, so I was between two 
multiple places. And so in my mind, it was crystal clear, join the Navy. Um, on top of that, a lot of the people in my ward were Navy people. You know, we had a lot of people um, who would be stationed out there uh, or who their port, their, their ship would come into port and they would stay there for six months or a year or longer even. And so a lot of the people in the ward were a bunch of uh, either retired Navy people who just loved the area and stuck around or current active duty uh, Navy people. And so I remember looking at a lot of them and going, hey, your life has been pretty successful. Uh, I, I, I bet mine can be if I joined the Navy. So I was pretty set on joining the Navy. Up until, oh, what was it? There was, there was somebody, I can't remember who, but there was somebody after graduating from high school who basically like willy nilly in a simple conversation basically said, you should think about serving a mission. I, I feel like you'd be a really good missionary. And I was like, I haven't even thought of a mission. And they were like, oh no, you'd be great though. You should consider it. Just, just pray on it. And oh man, I remember being so nervous about praying for something because <laughs> deep down, I don't know. I, I always, at a certain point when you, when you become converted into the church, you kind of give yourself allowances. <laughs> I want to say where it's like, Oh, well, I don't need to serve a mission. Even though I'm a worthy young male, perfect mm -hmm. age to serve a mission. I don't need to because I'm a convert, you know, and you could kind of get away with some of that stuff with your past. Like, Oh, I've, I've seen rated R movies, but I'm a convert, you know, like there's certain things. And so that was one of them. I was like, I don't need to. And I don't, it's never been on the horizon, but whoever that was, they, they got me thinking, okay, maybe, maybe I should start giving this some serious thought. So uh, the best way for me to gauge the idea um, at, at this point of my conversion, I knew if you wanted to ask a spiritual question, you have to first do your part by researching that question to the best of your ability. And then you ask God. Mm -hmm. And so the way that I figured I would be able to do that is by just interviewing a lot of the people in my ward. Because many of them, um, there were those who had served a mission and then joined the Navy. And then there were those who didn't serve a mission and joined the Navy. And everything was great. You know, I was getting a lot of good responses from both sides. And, and that actually made it more difficult. <laughs> it was like, well, there's a lot of pros for both and a lot of cons for both. What it really came down to is, is one person in particular, um, Brother Olson, the, the smart, witty, funny man. <laughs> uh, I didn't even realize it. Like, I did realize it, but it, it didn't really dawn on me. He did not serve a mission. He joined the Navy. And yet, he is, even to this day, one of my spiritual giant mentors. You know, he's somebody I look up to and respect. Mm -hmm. he, he's in the top five most respected people in, in my entire world. Um, and so... I don't even remember how the conversation got started, but he basically, he and I somehow ended up in Costco. <laughs> and I, I can't remember if he invited me or if I asked him if I could go. I don't remember. All I remember is we were in Costco and we walked around 
for probably like an hour and a half just walking and talking like we didn't i don't think we actually bought anything it was just like costco was the place to go to walk and talk (laughs) and uh i asked him all of the questions that i had asked everybody else you know why why didn't you serve a mission tell me about your navy experience um oh and at this point also i prior to joining the church didn't think i was going to get married after joining the church it was like hey god has a purpose for me so maybe i'll get married someday um Mm -hmm. It definitely wasn't like a reason for me wanting to go on a mission or to go into the Navy, but it was a, it was a a factor, right? Yeah. And so with everybody, I also asked, you know, where'd you meet your wife? Um, Do you feel like your decision led you to meeting your wife or your spouse or your your companion, whatever? And um, after that hour and a half, the, the one thing that I remember that stands out the most is he said, Although he did not serve a mission when he was younger, there's not a day that goes by where he does not excitedly anticipate the day that he will serve a mission with his wife. Mm. And that struck me. It struck me hard because I don't know. It just, it placed so much emphasis on the mission even though he he doesn't regret joining the navy and he doesn't regret not serving a mission but the anticipation that he has the the desire the burning feeling to serve a full-time mission was so strong in him that it was like maybe maybe that's my answer right there is deep down i need to do this and if i don't then i'm going to be waiting my entire life for that opportunity and so sure enough, you know, I took it up with the Lord. Um, and for me, my prayers, you know, I've, I've had probably in my lifetime, five prayers that I've said that I've just been like, you get that burning feeling in your chest. Um, it's almost, it's almost like a feeling of anxiety, but it's not because it's a good feeling, but you get the same burning in your chest the near sweaty palms, you just want to burst out in tears just because you feel some, some sense of an answer guiding you in a direction. And that was one of those prayers. Mm. And so sure enough, um, once I had that feeling, it was like, all right, I'm going to do it. And it was really terrifying. Um, really terrifying. Actually. I just, I didn't know. I didn't know what was happening. Um, you know, back in the day, you would, you would talk to the bishop first, and uh, bishop would, you know, get the paperwork started, and then uh, I, if I remember right, it was a website that you went to and you put all your information in. Um, I think one of the most intimidating parts, and this might be related to a question that you're possibly asking yourself, which is, you know, what my family think about the mission. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you're planning on asking that. Maybe I'm just jumping the gun. <laughs> um but my my bishop uh inspired man amazing amazing guy he said before i let you fill out your mission paperwork you have to tell everybody in your family you're going to serve a mission yeah and at this point in my life my dad and i did not have a strong relationship i i actually hadn't seen him in two years and the last memory that i had of him was not a pleasant one Mm -hmm. and so 
when my bishop said that, I was like, you got to be kidding me. Like, you're playing a prank, right? And he was like, no, I'm dead serious. You need to tell your entire family, including your dad, that you're going to serve a mission. Mm-hmm. Um, extremely inspired because that one encounter with my dad bridged the gap that we had had for two years. It, it he, he teared up when I told him. And, you know, I, I'm pretty sure the spirit was touching him. He's, he's, he's never taken lessons ever before. He's the, he's the kind of guy, um, he's a great guy. Love him. Um, very smart, uh, very loving, but he's the kind of guy who, who always makes the joke nowadays. Um, or at least would make the joke. If I were to step into a church building, you know, I'd catch on fire or something like that. And so, <laughs> you know, for him to, to be broken down and, and, and tear up at the fact that I was leaving, it was just like, wow, this is, this is a big decision. Um, but anyways, he, he was extremely supportive of my mission. So my whole family was, um, I don't think they knew quite what I was getting myself into. I didn't even know what I was getting myself into by leaving for two years. Like, you know, you're here two years and it's like, Oh yeah, two years is two years ago I was doing this, you know, and it's like, that wasn't long ago, but the day to day, man, what was it? It was like the, the days feel like weeks and the weeks feel like days. I think that's how <laughs> missions are described. So, um, yeah. So eventually I, I went back, told my Bishop, um, he told me about the paperwork I needed to fill out. I filled it out. I think I submitted it sometime early February. I want to say it was like February 7th or something like that of 2012. Nope, just kidding. 2013, 2013. And then uh, uh, shortly, no, it was late January. And then early February, I got the papers saying, hey, you're leaving in six weeks. You're going to serve a mission in Manchester, New Hampshire. Uh, in the Spanish language. Oh. So I uh, got to speak Spanish to a couple of trees, uh, <laughs> but it was it was a great experience. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that Spanish part really surprises me. Yeah, <laughs> I figured <laughs> as soon as I said that, I was like, I bet if anyone's <laughs> going to go, what? It's going to be you. <laughs> Because, so, I mean, you, you live in Maine right now, right? I do. And how many Hispanic, how many Spanish-speaking natives do you know in your town? Um, zero. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, you yeah, it was interesting. The trees, did you really not speak Spanish to anybody? <laughs> No, I did. I did. I did speak <laughs> Spanish. <laughs> so, so how it worked was, uh, so I went to the MTC for six weeks and the MTC was amazing. Uh, for a convert, if anybody is a convert to the church and they are old enough to serve a mission, I recommend it more than anything because in the MTC alone, you will grow in a testimony of the church. Um, it was incredible six weeks. Uh, it was in Provo. Um, and just the people that I was with, you know, everybody that was there, super supportive, 
uh, you learn a ton about the doctrines of the church, which, you know, there, there's certain points in being a convert where it's like, okay, you know, the church is great. I love the people. I love the messages. Um, it, it makes me happy. And then there's the other point in a conversion where it gets down to the nitty gritty and you're like, all right, who is Ammon and what did he do? And why is it so important? Who is uh, Laman, you know, beyond Laman and Lemuel and who, uh, you know, the brother of Jared, what exactly did he teach us? You know, that's where the conversion really comes. And then on top of that, you, you learn more about the doctrine and covenants, the history of it, the history of the church. You learn about Joseph Smith. Oh, you know, you learn about his whole experience with, with how he was called to be the prophet. And then the struggles that he had, you know, all of that is the deeper stuff. But I feel like you don't necessarily get unless you you have the commitment, the desire, and you put the time and the work in. And right. for me, that didn't come until I was 100% completely devoted to the Lord. You know, it was like, it's on my plate, but the scriptures and people to share this with. Um, so anyways, the MTC was amazing and brilliant for that. Now back to the whole Spanish. Why Spanish? Um, I didn't know why it was Spanish speaking in the beginning. Uh, but six weeks in the MTC, I learned the basics of Spanish. I took Spanish in high school, um, nearly failed it, just like every other class. And so when I got the call, I was kind of like, ha ha, funny, God, you know, you know, <laughs> I nearly failed this. And now you're calling me here. Not only that, but it's a non-Spanish speaking place. Right. Um, so the mission itself, it's the Manchester, New Hampshire mission, um, or at least it was. Now, I, from my understanding, it's still Manchester, New Hampshire, but they've kind of shifted the boundaries a little bit with the Boston and the, the, the Utica mission, I believe, or that or is Rochester. I can't remember which one was further, further east. But my mission, when I served, covered nearly all of New Hampshire, all of Vermont, two-thirds of Maine, the tiniest little sliver of New York, and the tiniest little sliver of Massachusetts. And in Massachusetts, there's a city called Lawrence, Massachusetts. It's right on the border of Massachusetts and New Hampshire in the, uh, the, the northeast area. It's kind of close to Methuen. Um, uh, anyways, that was where I spent a year of my mission. So when I got called, I, I spent my first uh, 10 and a half months of my mission in Lawrence, Massachusetts, which hmm. is kind of unusual if you're a missionary. Usually, you know, every three, three to six months, you get transferred. It could be every month and a half, you know, every six weeks. But um, to be in one place for about a year, it was a little unusual. And then after that, I got transferred up to Skowhegan, Maine. I loved Skowhegan. Absolutely loved it. I had an amazing companion, Elder Buchanan. Man, he and I, <laughs> it was probably my most fun area of my mission. We, we just enjoyed every single day. And I like to think that of all of the areas where I made an impact, I feel like that's the area I made an impact the most. And, and as a missionary, like that's, that's kind of the goal, you know, that I had was, what area can I make the biggest impact on? Who can I impact the most? Who can I make change? You know, I, obviously I don't make changes in people. People make changes in people, but who can I inspire to make changes in their lives to draw them closer to Christ? I feel like that was kind of my mission of my mission. 
Yeah. Yeah. So I feel like Skowhegan was one of those. Um, so after Skowhegan, I was there for four and a half months. I went to Manchester, New Hampshire for four, for four and a half months as well. And then from Manchester, I went up to Bangor, Maine for three months. Um, and that was during the last winter of my mission. And then my last six weeks, my mission president sent me back to Lawrence, Massachusetts, where oh. I could finish the full year and um, pretty much get a, a last hoorah with the people that I had, you know, come to love for 10 and a half months. Yeah, I think that's unusual to go back to an area. That's pretty cool. It, I, I think it is unusual. Um, I remember when I left, my mission president, <laughs> it was funny. He said uh, at, at the transfer meeting, he said, make sure you keep your Spanish because you will be coming back. <laughs> and as we got closer and closer to the end of my mission, when we'd have our interviews, I'd always, I, I kind of longed for it. I, I yearned for it. I kind of want to see the people again, see the converts that uh, I had helped join the church and you know, see how they're doing. And so during those interviews, I'd say, hey, president, <clears throat> I've been keeping up on my Spanish. <laughs> <laughs> any chance I'll be going back, you know, and I, I don't know if I, 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 I'm confident that my mission president followed the spirit the entire way through, mm -hmm. but I do like to think that God listens to our desires as well. And he, he kind of was like, okay, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll send him back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm sure by that last, before the last six weeks, you were like, it's not, did you doubt that it was going to happen? Cause I think, Maybe I would have been like, yeah, this isn't happening. I'm not going back. You know, I, I did have my doubts. Um, I, I think I teared up a little bit when I was told I was going back. Just because, I mean, you learn to love people. Like, I don't know. You're, you're putting your entire service to the Lord. And with that, you kind of gain... Uh, almost an eye like I I remember on my mission I, I tried to develop a perspective of the Lord you know and you look at other people you know within our church we call each other brothers and sisters and it's like what does that really mean oh we all have a heavenly father it's like yeah that's true but like to really be brothers and sisters and to really be children of God I mean God love and if god loves every single one of us it, it means that we can love every single person perfectly okay that's not true we can't quite love everyone perfectly but like we can we can we could try to we can that could be our goal right and so on a mission when i found people even if they didn't join the church even if they like i man i remember in manchester new hampshire i had one person from a block and a half away, see us and just start cussing us out, just mm -hmm. screaming at the top of his lungs, walking towards us. And my companion and I got really defensive. And even that person, like, you just love them. I love the people of New England. And Lawrence specifically, you know, you spend so much time with them. It's like, it, it was like coming home to my other family. You know, it really was. Mm -hmm. That's cool. Um. So what experiences on your mission strengthened your relationship with the Savior? I, I can't think of anything 
super, super specific. I think the, the entire mission as a whole, uh, kind of like what I was saying earlier, when you go on a mission and you dedicate all that time, it allows for you to have time to learn about the Savior, learn about the gospel, learn about the church, learn about all sorts of stuff. Every single morning uh, as a missionary, you, you have a, a schedule. You know, you wake up at 6.30, you uh, exercise for 30 minutes, then you eat breakfast and you shower um, and you get ready for the day. And that you, you have an hour to do that. And then from eight o'clock to nine o'clock, every single day, every single day, from eight o'clock to nine o'clock, you got one hour to study the scriptures. Um, and it was anything you wanted. You know, and then on top of that, because I was a Spanish speaker, I got another hour to study Spanish. And the way that I studied Spanish was largely reading the, <laughs> reading the scriptures in Spanish. And then on top of that, you get another hour that you get to spend with companionship study. And then after that, it, it was kind of interesting being the Spanish speaker because we wouldn't leave the house until 1 p.m. usually because it would go 8 to 9 personal study, 9 to 10. Um, wait, am I getting the right? Yeah, 8 to 9 personal study, 9 to 10 companion study, 10 to 11 language study, and then we would take our lunch early. So it would be like noon, noon 30, 1 o'clock that we would leave, depending on if there were phone calls that we needed to make or, or lessons that we needed to plan or things like that. So every single day i had hours to read and learn about the church and about about god and i also would take advantage of my as well as uh sometimes my morning hour we would play church talks given from general authorities at previous general conferences i think that alone is where I, I I gained the greatest testimony of of my loving heavenly Father, mm. you know, and and of this church. Um, there were a few times on my mission where I would honestly I would question is what does it mean to be the true correct church because that's the bold statement that is had within this church. It is the restored establishment and organization that Jesus Christ Himself had when he was on the earth that's a bold statement right and so you know i had my questions um e even <laughs> it was actually kind of funny even on my mission i had the chance to go to uh other congregations i i got to go to a catholic mass once and i got to go to a uh a born again church service as well where they they had the guitars and everything and you know, in the end, it, it always came back to, yes, I believe with all my heart that the Book of Mormon is true. I, I had read it so many times on my mission. And every single time when I read it, I, I would always get to that last little bit and ask, you know, is, is this true? I don't know. Is, <laughs> it's a big book. There's a lot of stuff in here. Is, what does it mean to be true? Does it have to be true? Like we throw the word true around so much in the church. It's like, what, is, what does that really mean? And all of those things came down to every single day. So, again, I don't think it was any one experience that drew me in. It's it's just the accumulation of all of the all of the prayer 
prayers and all of the uh, all of the study. Yeah, that that definitely makes sense. What? How was the transition from your mission back into real life like for you? <laughs> it was it was interesting. You know, I look back on those days and kind of go, <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. Um, you know, on my mission, so before I left on my mission, uh, I had a really cool experience and this will relate. Don't worry, I promise. Um, <laughs> I know this was not the question, but uh, before before I left on my mission, so Mama Olson, Sister Olson, uh, she gave me a pair of shoes. Uh, they're missionary shoes from, there's some missionary store. I can't remember the name of it. It's out in Utah somewhere. You, anyways, she, she gave me this pair of shoes. And they were nice shoes. They were probably the nicest shoes I've ever had in my life. And she said, when you're serving your mission, these shoes are the shoes of a missionary. They are not the shoes of somebody who is not a missionary. Meaning, anytime you wear these shoes, you walk as though the Savior were walking in them. These Mm. shoes do not go into places where they shouldn't. These shoes belong to people who do things that they shouldn't do when they're a missionary. So those shoes became a metaphor for obedience. Those shoes were my obedience shoes. And kind of grossly, those were the only shoes that I wore the entire mission. With the exception of, you know, if you wanted to play basketball on P-Day, you'd wear tennis right. shoes. Those were the only shoes, though, to the point where the last, like, month of my mission, they had holes in them. And whenever it rained um, or snowed because it's New England, um, and I, I finished my mission in March. So, you know, rain, snow, whatever. My, <laughs> my socks would get soaked. Um, and it, it kind of became a problem. Um, but finish the mission nonetheless in those shoes. My entire mission, the, the point that I'm getting at is I tried to be obedient. I really did. Um, there, there were times where it was difficult and, you know, I feel like every missionary at some point struggles a little bit here and there. The, the level of struggle differs from missionary to missionary. Um, for me, the, the hardest obedience part was, uh, towards the end of my mission. It was, it was always waking up. Um, I, I just, I, I started to sleep a lot worse towards the end of my mission. I don't know if it was just the anxiety of coming home and seeing my family who throughout the two years I had written to, um, or if it was just the stress of being a missionary or if I was just getting older, I I don't really know what it was. Uh Um, But that's, that's the area I struggled the most. Anyways, the point that I'm getting at is I wasn't a perfect missionary, but I tried to be the most obedient that I could. Um, And so when I came home from my mission, I went from being as obedient as I could to you could watch TV. Now you can be alone. Now you can listen to music. Now you can talk to girls. Like it was very intimidating and scary and weird. And then on top of that, um, when I came home from my mission, I went home and lived with my mom who, um, you know, bless her heart, amazing woman, love her to death. Um, but at the time she, she was a smoker and, uh, I, I believe she was still drinking a little bit here and there drinking alcohol. And so I kind of came home a little bit judgy, um, and very, oh, I was a servant of the Lord for two years. So therefore, you know, and it was, 
Mm-hmm. It was a little obnoxious now that I think back. And I kind of regret coming home with that much pizzazz of the mission. You know, I I loved my mission and I love what it did to me. But I didn't know how to interact with people in a way that was not being a missionary, you know? And I, I feel like that kind of separated me from a, my family just a little bit. It made them a little bit more judgy towards me, as well as a couple of friends. Um, I also made a lot of very strong posts on Facebook that were like, the church believes this. And, it, you know, I didn't have social media for two years, so I didn't know how to, how to do social media. And so I would post something and a lot of church members would be like, yeah, yeah, you know, that's true. That's the gospel. And then a lot of non-members would be like, well, that's kind of a little little bold there, you know? And so, I don't know. Since then, I'd say I've mellowed down quite a bit in, in just how I share the gospel and, you know, how I talk about the gospel. But at that time, it was very, it was very difficult for me. Right. Um, so I know from the time you came off your mission until the pandemic, a lot happened, but I'm interested in hearing how going through the pandemic affected your testimony. You know, the pandemic has been very difficult, um, for everyone. And I think the hardest thing that a lot of people struggle from with the pandemic is everyone thinks that there should be a certain way to life. Everyone has to follow this same path. And yet, you know, the pandemic kind of proved to everyone that's not necessarily the case. Some people struggle differently from others. I think, I think for me, the pandemic, um, you know, I was in West Virginia when it, when it happened, when it started. And on top of that, I, I was in medical school. I still am in medical school, but I was mm-hmm. in my uh, didactic portion of medical school, the, the lecture portion. Um, and so with church in general, you know, I, I had a calling at the time. I think I was the, I was the Sunday school president and the pandemic happened shortly after the three to two hour church change. So we were having two hour church and then three months later, or like, I think it was like five months later, the pandemic hit. Um, I don't know if it necessarily affected my testimony as much as it did just, it didn't make me question anything. It didn't make me question, you know, what do bad things happen? You know, that's, that's a very commonly questioned thing. I, I also am fortunate that I didn't lose anybody in the pandemic that was close to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, it just kind of altered the way that church was, I guess. Yeah. Um, going to church, uh, we had to obviously switch to virtual for quite a while. And then after the virtual came mandatory masks and stuff like that. Meeting in the health field, I'm a strong proponent of safety. Um, and so, you know, I just went along with it. I, I honestly... I don't think that the pandemic has had too much of an influence on me as far as my testimony goes. Cause you know, at this point when the pandemic hit, it was 2020, like early 2020, they call it COVID-19, but it was really early 2020 March when it hit at that point, I had been a member for nine and a half years and all of those nine and a half years, you know, I, it, it, I had, I had too much, you know, it's, it's kind of like, Oh, I can't think of a good analogy. The analogy that I'm thinking of though, is, you know, if you build your strong, uh, a foundation on a strong foundation, 
and then an earthquake happens, it's like it doesn't really do much, right? Mm-hmm. Like there's a there's a talk by President Nelson that he gave when he was in his early apostle days about the strong winds shall come forth. And, uh, you know, if you build that strong foundation, it won't really do much. And the scriptures obviously teach that a few different places. And so when the pandemic hit, I felt like my testimony was strong enough. Plus my wife, um, the young women's president, she also has a rock and boom in testimony. Like she and I together, we keep each other afloat and we help each other. And we talk, we talk all the time about different controversial things and how they relate to the church. Um, you know, not to bring up controversial things and I'm not going to, you know, weigh my opinion or anything over this podcast, but Mm -hmm. you know, when, when you get things such as, uh, the legalization of abortions, it, it, it makes you question things, you know, and you ask questions. And so when things like that come up, it's like, okay, what are our stances? You know, how do we feel and how does the church influence us here? I think those are the things more than the pandemic that make us question things, but in the end, we still have our testimonies nice and strong. Right. So before I have you share your testimony, if you don't mind doing that, is there anything else about your faith journey that you want to talk about? I know I sent you a lot of questions that we haven't got to, but I don't want to end this with you thinking, oh, I wish I would have shared this. (laughs) <laughs> no, you're totally good. And I, I also realize this has been a long podcast. If anybody is listening to the full thing, I mean, good for you. <laughs> <laughs> Man. Uh, you know, when you've like heard yourself talk so many for so long and you're like, you know, that's ugh, good for you. Good for you. That's all I could say. And thank you. You know, I, I, I appreciate you for taking the time to have me on, on this podcast. Um, but yeah, is there anything else I want to share? I guess, you know, joining the church, it's been a journey. It's been a long journey. Um, it's been a great blessing. It's been a life-changing, and if you have a testimony, it's been an eternal blessing uh, for me. You know, every time I go to the temple, it's it's a reminder of that. I look back at the boy that I was before I joined the church at how scared and sad and lonely I was. And it's almost like I don't recognize that person anymore Mm. just because of how much this gospel has had an influence on me. Um, I, I don't know. It's hard at this point. I kind of feel like I'm bearing a testimony without saying I'm going to bear my testimony, you know, but <laughs> yeah. Um, just... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just I'm freestyling it, I guess. Uh, <laughs> I look back though at how I didn't think I had any potential and it's a scary thought when you're just kind of alone and you know, you don't, you don't think anybody out there has any belief in you. Um, you know, I, even before I joined the church, I didn't know what I was going to do after high school. I didn't know what I was going to do a week from then. I honestly questioned everything about my existence. It was just like, what is the point? What is, what is, what is the, and this, this knowledge, the, the, it's not just the knowledge, it's the feeling too, that, God sees you 
and loves you and knows you. All of that just, it encourages me to do better and to be better and to grow. And not only that, but to take everything that I've been given and turn it around and help others to do the same. Uh, I feel like that's what my journey has been. You know, because I, after I joined the church, you know, in between joining and leaving on my mission, I remember actually helping a few other people to join the church. And Mm -hmm. then on my mission, I remember uh, I got an email from a buddy who said, hey, you didn't know this, but I was going to church after you left on your mission because I heard about the changes you had made. And now I'm a member of the church. And it was like, cool. You know, I don't look at that and go, oh, it's because of me. I look at it and go, wow, using me. Um, and then after my mission, the fact that I, I had, and you know, I'm this week, this, this week, actually, I'm applying for medical residency programs in family medicine. You know, I'm going to be a family doc where every single day of my life, I'm going to be interacting with patients going through difficult times. And you better believe there will be certain times where I will be able to share the gospel, even without using words. And I just, I look at what Heavenly Father has done for me and through me. And it makes me so grateful. Um, It also makes me incredibly grateful for all of the people who went out of their way to sacrifice something, whether it's time, resources, uh, an open ear, Um, every single one of those people who have helped me to get to this point, you know, it's just, it's been an incredible journey and I'm grateful for it. And so I guess to, to bear the testimony, I, I know without a shadow of doubt that the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is the true church, the restored church that Jesus Christ himself established that has been restored. I know without a doubt that this church is led and guided by our loving Heavenly Father and that He wants to see us succeed. He wants us to grow and to be happy. He wants us to enjoy this life. And even though we suck at that sometimes and we are imperfect, He will never let us go too deep. Um, I know that this church is led and guided by a prophet who's the mouthpiece. I love President Nelson. He is so much fun to listen to. Um, and I know I know that he's inspired of God. I know that my family is one that I'll be able to be with for the rest of time and all eternity. What a beautiful, beautiful phrase. And I've thought about this. Why do they say time and all eternity? It's just so beautiful. And when I look at my wife in the temple and we're in a ceiling room and we look through those mirrors, I just, I get filled with emotions. And when I think of my kids and the experience that they're going to get, you know, having been raised in this gospel and having, having parents who love each other and who, who, support the teachings of the prophet and of the book of mormon it's just it makes me so so happy and proud (laughs) and 
I just, I love the, I love imagining the future that they're going to have. But I bear these things um, with happiness in my heart. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Amen. I hope you loved all the details of Sean's conversion as much as I did. I could have stopped the interview after that story, but I just had to hear about his mission and his time in Maine. If you would like to see a picture of Sean, you can go on Instagram to Conversion Stories Podcast. If you would like to learn about the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, you can visit churchofjesuschrist.org. And if you would like to share your conversion story, you can reach me at conversionstoriespodcast at gmail.com. I look forward to sharing your story.